Hello and welcome to another episode of Crip Speakers. I am Sussy Korea. And I am Jay Tyler. And we're here to discuss episode 5 of Tales from the Crypt, season 1, Lover Come Hack to Me. Uh, before we get started uh, talking about the actual story in this episode, I want to take a little bit of time to set up uh, who is involved in this episode because it's actually a really interesting combo of uh, writer-director. So uh, the director for this episode is Tom Holland, not that Tom Holland. Um, not, not your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yes, it's uh, Tom Holland. Also an actor, but also a writer-director, better known for Child's Play. Um, and then also the extremely underrated Fright Night, which he also wrote and directed. Yeah, Fright Night's great. The original Fright Night, we should say. Yes, original Fright Night, uh, 1985, if you need to uh, check it out. I think is a highly, highly underrated horror film. I I was hoping that the remake would bring more light to the original but it really doesn't seem like it did um i feel like the the people who know about it really like like stand for it pretty hard yeah um but it's one of those things that like i think the um the tone of that movie is so killer because it's like it's sort of a uh horror comedy like it definitely is playing kind of fast and loose with some of its stuff but it but it is also really spooky yeah. And the 2011 remake is okay. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think if you like the original, you're probably not going to like the remake as much. So I would mm-hmm. recommend to just watch the original if you're into it. Um, but yeah, he uh, Tom Holland has a really interesting uh, career. Uh, he's directed a ton, uh, directed and written um, a ton of other stuff in the horror genre um and um an interesting thing about him is that essentially the first movie he ever directed was fright night so he really started off yeah really starting with the showstopper yeah he did uh several episodes of tales from the crypt so we have two more episodes from him to look forward to yeah and and he he is uh, the first person that we've uh, done who who's done an episode of the show who is sort of a dyed in the wool like he is a horror guy you know we have guys like Zemeckis and um, Donner who had done uh, horror here or there but pretty much his whole career is fairly dedicated to the art of making uh, fun horror movies. Yeah, and I think this really comes through in this episode uh, Mm -hmm. with his directing style. Yeah, Uh, I think this, yeah, this episode definitely, like, plays much more like a horror movie than anything we've seen up to this point. Yes. Uh, And uh, moving on to the writer. Uh, The writer for this episode is Michael McDowell, uh, better known for writing Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but while I was trying to learn more about him and his career, I read that unfortunately he died too young in uh, 1999. Um, so it's kind of a bummer to see someone so promising, um, someone who had written, I mean, Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas are both, 
yeah. kind of tent poles of the nineties. Well, so, and, and just genre defining films. Yes. A lot of defining and defying, like really pushing the boundaries of what those kinds of movies can be. So yeah, a loss that he did not get to make more works for us to enjoy. Absolutely. Uh, and then this is also starring uh, Amanda Plummer, who is daughter of Christopher Plummer, but is really uh, a well-known character actress in her own right. Uh, she is mostly, or uh, I, was, I would say better known for playing Honey Bunny in Pulp Fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, if you are a fan of YA literature uh, and you're a fan of The Hunger Games, you may recognize her. Uh, for playing wires in uh, Catching Fire. Oh, and, and then for also... All, all, all you Ryan Murphy fans out there, uh, she she had a turn in the recent uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest spinoff series, Ratchet, uh, which does not deserve to exist, but is better than that description would, just, would uh, make you believe. Yeah, I have not checked that out. It just doesn't appeal to me for some reason. Uh, I can't imagine why, like, learning the origin <laughs> stories of Nurse Ratchet, a, a character who's largely created to um, be a symbol for institutional uh, abuse, would, would not, like, immediately be like, oh, I want to know what that person's story is. Yeah, and... I've heard good things about it, but it just it, I just feel like, you know what? It feels like something I have to be in the mood for. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'm in the mood for it right now or to- ever. Or ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. No, it's definitely, it, 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 a mood is a way to describe that movie. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so uh, to get right into the episode, uh, we open uh, with Crypt Keeper and for some reason a piece of steak. Um <laughs> He's hacking it. (laughs) Yeah, the the intro there wasn't too memorable for me, honestly. Um, So uh, getting into the actual uh, meat of the episode. Haha, meat of the episode. No no, no pun intended, (laughs) yep. Yes. Uh, So we see uh, two lovers as they exit uh, the Justice of the Peace. Uh, We have the bride, Peggy, who is just walking away as her aunt, Aunt Edith, Uh, tells her that she is going to regret this one day. Um, Peggy disagrees and continues to walk away, just dismissing Aunt Edith, uh, at which point Aunt Edith Edith decides to try to talk to the groom. His name is Charles. And she says, stop it. This is a mistake. You very well know you're not in love with Peggy. And he says, how can it be a mistake to marry the woman I love? Um... And she says, oh, you don't love her. You just want her money. And he says, well, sure. I, but you've been mooching off of... Uh, <laughs> you've been mooching off of Peggy for years. Toodles. And he just uh, drives and away. He's gonna, and apparently she's been living in the same house as Peggy. Oh, yeah. She, he explicitly says, you're, you know, your free ride's done. Once we get back from honeymoon, we're kicking you out of the house. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, the guy clearly has other intentions for his life with Peggy, and those intentions don't include uh, Aunt Edith at all. Yeah, I mean, fairly immediately, the uh, chemistry between the two lead actors in this uh, episode 
is real weird. Like in a good way. Like I'm not saying like it, I, it's clearly intentional, but you, you really don't know where uh, Peggy and Charles, Charles played by Stephen Shullen, who I looked at or Stephen Shullen. I looked at his credits, nothing really popped out at me. So fairly uh, anonymous, but their chemistry is immediately weird and like tense and like, you know, there's that nervous energy of uh, wedding night jitters, but like times a thousand. Yeah. And so he drives away, um, presumably to go on their honeymoon. And as they're driving down the road, there's this torrential downpour and Charles asks Peggy to see where they are. And she says, oh, I don't know how to read a map. Huh? <laughs> Which uh, I think kind of goes to symbolize that she's a little sheltered. Yeah. Well, so this the, the this is definitely one of those episodes where you can tell. So, the, you know, this episode is made in 1989, like all the first season episodes are. But you can tell this is a story that has has been borrowed from a comic that was written in the 1950s. Cause there's definitely a very like, like Edith is a very sheltered person. Um, you know, they, they, they are going to consummate their relationship on the wedding night. There's all these things where it's like that she, she is from a different era almost like she's, yes. she's sort of very quiet and mousy and like sort of unassuming. I think it almost works in this story and we'll, we'll get into why. Yeah. Uh, but I think it kind of it kind of works for her character to be mousy, sure. even if the story was set in present time, nineteen eighty. Yeah, like I'm not <laughs> saying like it feels like it's a story that like is 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 like it's like this story is supposed to be in nineteen eighty nine. No, but I, th- I think like she's supposed to be kind. She's supposed to be kind of conservative and softly spoken. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, like kind of not not sure. Like like that's that's sort of like his. Weird energy is just like, oh, whatever, Aunt Edith, you know, piss off. We're going to go do our own thing. And and she she's just like, she, neither of them seem to be happy to be married. <laughs> that's that's sort of the vibe that that is apparent that he's clearly like got something up his sleeve and she is just out of her element in all of this. And so as they're driving, uh, Charles sees a big tree blocking the way. Um, and he says, oh, well, what are we going to do now? And she says, well, if we turn around, we're just going to spend our wedding night in a car. So I think it's probably better if you try to move that tree. And he's like, oh, but I don't want to get wet. Which I think (laughs) is kind of hilarious. It reminds me of this one episode in Seinfeld where he does this bit about how, like, People people love water. They love to swim in it. They take baths. You get in a hot tub. But as soon as it starts pouring from the sky, you're like, nope. <laughs> um, which I I think it's it's kind of hilarious. Like it's just a little bit of rain. Who cares? But he is very adamant that he doesn't really want to get wet. Uh, but she convinces him because she doesn't want to spend their wedding night in a car. So he's reluctantly agrees. To go move the tree. But he asks Peggy if there's a flashlight in the car. Uh, So Peggy opens the glove compartment. And finds the flashlight. But also finds a gun. Uh She seems very surprised to see this gun. Uh, And Charles says. Oh I've never seen that gun in my life. How did that get there? Must have been. Very convincing Charles. Yeah. 
Uh, so we know right away that something's up. Probably he's planning something uh, since we and he, made it and clear. He, and his excuse is, oh, that was a wedding present for Aunt Edith, which is maybe <laughs> one of the worst lies you could come up with. Yeah. Um, so we'll come back to this gun a little later. Um, but anywho, Charles grabs the flashlight and then proceeds to move the tree out of the way rather easily, if I do say so. <laughs> I it looked like a giant tree and then he just kind of moves it almost like just not effortless just yeah kind of kind of just pushes it aside yeah uh, worth mentioning Charles does not strike you as the kind of person who could easily move an entire tree oh like, yeah he, not at all he's, he's kind of a Weasley dude with he's a great what? 80s mullet I wouldn't say he's Weasley would you say he has a great 80s mullet I wouldn't call that a mullet either. Is it just is it just long? I think it's just long hair. Is it just long hair? He's got a great hair. Yeah, he's got uh, great hair. I thought fantastic. he he's not a bodybuilder, but he's no, he's capable. You know, like yeah, he, yeah, he's a, he's but yeah, he's he's just he. Uh, I was gonna mention this later, but he kind of has the the build of a young Brendan Fraser. Sure. Yes yeah not not spindly but not like jacked by any means yeah um so essentially just picture that uh and so yeah but he has no trouble moving this tree which seemed to be a kind of a big deal when they were looking at it and then he just just pushes it out of the way almost and uh he gets back in the car and they drive uh up just a little bit and notice that they're not on a highway, they're about to enter this big driveway that leads to a house. So it's kind of an iffy type of situation that so they were kind of supposed to be on this, I guess, highway trying to go to their hotel where they're going to spend their honeymoon. And they kind of come up to this dead end that dead ends in the, on this house, mm-hmm. uh, which looks like a haunted house if I ever saw one. Yeah, no, one hundred percent is haunted. <laughs> not, not, not a question. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, Charles says, "Well, you know, I guess we should break in." And Peggy at first objects, but he says, "Look, it doesn't look like anybody has lived here in like twenty years." So as uh, they're about to yeah, enter, look, I found you the sweet haunted house. Um, I did bring a mysterious gun in the car. Let's shack up here. Yeah, I love you well, so let's... much, honey. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as they're about to enter, Peggy says, uh, hey, don't you think you need to carry me over the threshold? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, well, I guess uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he does that. Yeah. So clearly Peggy is really into traditions. Uh, and Charles, she, She's a romantic by nature. Yeah. And Charles here couldn't really care less right. about all this stuff. He just kind of wants to... He seems very businesslike in how he wants to conduct the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he's kind of doing the bare minimum here and just kind of complaining the whole way. Uh, not really trying to make her comfortable. Yeah, not great honeymoon vibes. Yeah. Uh, so they enter the house and as they start looking around, they see a freshly prepared fire uh, ready to be lit. Almost Again, like somebody left it for them. Yeah. 
how curious. Uh, and Peggy remarks that, huh, this is so weird. It's almost like somebody left this ready for us. Um, and they also notice a big axe hanging uh, right above the fireplace. And, and of course, Charles, being a classy dude, makes a mother-in-law joke about the yes. battle axe. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, Peggy does not seem amused by the joke at all. Well, it's like he has to explain it. Like He makes the joke and then he's like, huh? huh? And she's just kind of staring at him. Yeah. And I mean, also, he's kind of insulting her mom. Right. Yes. So yeah. it just kind of doesn't go over well. Mm-hmm. So he decides to take off his clothes so that they can dry. He says, hey, why don't you take off your clothes too? And Peggy at first is like, nah, not taking off my clothes. Why would I what? ever do that? Why, like, why would I take off my clothes in front of you, my husband? Yeah. Uh, and he says, well, we're married. Uh, you're mm-hmm. going to have to get used to that. Um, so she says, well, I guess I'll go into... Um, another room and essentially he she comes out wearing kind of like a comfy pajama like bathrobe right so it's it's interesting that like he asked her to essentially like hey take off your he wants he wants them to like to basically like dry out by this romantic fire um and and I don't know. I think it happens here. Like he, he full on straight, just strips nude. Like, Oh yeah. He's like, Hey, HBO viewing audience. Here's my butt. Here's my entire ass. Yeah. Like for your viewing pleasure. It's not TV. It's HBO. Look at my butt. Yeah. And she, you know, Peggy walks in right as he takes off his robe and shows his butt and she gets a little frazzled. Uh, and she just kind of starts having doubts and she's like, Oh, but you just, um, you never really loved me. You just wanted my money. And so at this point, Charles really needs to reassure her. Uh, and mm-hmm. he says, no, 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 I, I didn't just marry you for the money. I really do like you, want to be with you, and I want you, blah, blah, blah. This is, this is for real, baby. Yeah, and so he leads her to this sort of chase lounge that's positioned right by the fireplace. Uh, and they start kind of fooling around, uh, and he kind of seems a little into it, uh, but then she's like, no, because I want this to be perfect, and I don't want to do it on a chase lounge. I want to do it on a real bed. And he's mm. like, oh, okay, we'll go find a real bed. Um, so they go around looking for a bed, and lo and behold, they find a perfect bed. Essentially, if you could ever imagine, like, you know, a wedding night bedroom, it would be this bedroom. It has, like, this four-poster bed with, like, the sheets hanging from it, and there's a ton of candles everywhere. It's perfectly made. Like, like, much like the fire, clearly the space has been, like, prepared for something. Yes. And once again, Peggy makes a remark, like, oh, it's, you know... Once again, it's almost like the house was expecting us uh, and got this ready for us. Mm. Uh, to which Charles does not seem freaked out at all by that. He's just like kind of shrugs it off and is like, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so once again, Charles is like, okay, so you want to smash? And Peggy's like, uh, hold on a second. I have to go get changed again. 
Right. She brought multiple outfits for yes. the white and night. So I was I was a little bit just puzzled <laughs> that yeah, they you, made you, the character you and Charles change both. You're like, what's going on with this dame? Like, what what is happening here? Yes. Why has this taken so long? But it turns out that she had a reason for the second change. Uh, so as as Charles is lighting the candles with a conveniently located lighter, which just happened to be in the pocket of his silk robes mm-hmm. that he also conveniently, I guess, found. Well, actually, I don't know if he found them or if he was... Or if he just um, brought, the, he, he yeah. brought it with his luggage. But yeah. anyway, yeah, he happened to have a lighter in his robe, which I know... I mean, there did I happen to be candles in there. Like, that's another one of those things that the room has been prepared with, like, romantic lighting throughout. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, while he's doing this, uh, Peggy is getting changed, and she is really doing a job here. She putting on makeup, she's doing her hair, she puts on stockings and high heels and comes out kind of looking completely different. Right. Um, comes out with a, a real uh, bedroom look, so to speak. Yeah. It's almost, um, I don't want to say caricature, but because she looks good, but it, right. it definitely continues with this idea of like what, a very sort of sheltered, innocent person would think she has to dress up as for her wedding night. It's it's someone playing at sexy. Yes, 100%. Um, so she comes out, you know, all made up, looking real fine. And Charles is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> me likey. Yeah, like all of a sudden it's like, he's like, oh, I married this woman. Yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah, I can work with this. I didn't know she was going to be like this. Um, it's, yeah, it's almost like he doesn't believe it's the same woman. Um, it's it's and- really, because I feel like it's, it, you know, um, despite being fairly uh, anonymous, I think Shellen does a really good job. Of, like, his expression in this moment is really great. It's like, oh, like he like, has this look that goes across his face that clearly communicates that if there was any doubt before, like this is the moment you're like, Oh, this guy really was in it only for the money. Like, Oh yeah. There's no question at this point, but now that he sees her like this, he's like, interesting. Yeah. It's almost like, I'm not going to say he had a change of heart, but Mm -hmm. he's having a realization like, Hey, maybe this is not going to be so bad for me after all. Right. Like this might, this might even be good for me Mm -hmm. type of thing. Um, so yeah, they proceed to get it on in what must have been like the sex scene that they had allotted for the entire season. Um, so we, yeah, we have so other sex scenes, but this one is especially like awkward to talk kids. about this for a second. This is far and away. Like we'll get into some other stuff, but like so far, like all the episodes of this show have been stuff where it's like, well, like language is definitely something that you couldn't have a normal television like content wise i'm like well you know you could like make a couple edits here or there and this thing would be ready for like prime time like this could be on much like game of thrones now where there's almost like the requisite boob shot in almost every episode i think tales from the crypt also kind of has a either a requisite boob or requisite but right but right but but it's but it's passing this episode goes for like this is an episode that definitely like relishes in like we don't have to wor- worry about censors. We don't have to worry about it. Like it definitely like is playing 
in the horror. That's why I kind of said that, like, the director being a horror guy definitely, like, shows and, like, he's like, yeah, like, we're going to have, like, you don't, like, see penetration, obviously, but, like, they're having sex for a while. I was watching yeah. this while my wife was trying to work in the same room, and she was like, when is this going to be over? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, what I call the Skinamax nudity for the season. Right. Um. Yeah, and it, and like I said, it almost feels like they either, like, had an allotted time, a uh, number of minutes that they could have sex scenes for in season one and they decided mm -hmm. to spend all of that in this episode right it's like it's this scene and also uh the scene in the last episode where leah thompson's just having her back gently caressed but see but even that you don't see anything you don't see any this no like this is, is like, so much more explicit than that scene yeah was. um that that scene in the leah thompson episode is like child's play in comparison no yeah. pun intended <laughs> No, it, it, this episode definitely, like, because, like, it's one of those things where, like, as we were watching this, I was like, this show's not all that racy. And then I guess this was like, oh, my God, like, yeah. this is really going for it. Uh, and this is not the only sex scene. <laughs> no. In the episode. So after this, uh, it culminates in a fairly awkward climax right <laughs> at the stroke of midnight. Where she screams so loud that she breaks the grandfather clock. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he also kind of groans, and it almost sounds right. like he's in pain to where I almost thought, like, oh, shit, like, you know, something's going to happen at the stroke of midnight. Maybe he's going to turn into, I don't know, yeah, like, a pumpkin No, I 100% thought we were going to cut back, and they are like, both werewolves or something. Like, yeah. I thought it was going in a really weird, like, transformative direction. Yeah, it was it was that awkward of a of a climax um mm -hmm. so anyway after this i mean i don't know what you you're talking about that's what i sound like <laughs> every time um so yeah after this hot sex scene peggy says we made a child <laughs> and i feel like if you had a boner at all while watching that long sex scene you probably lost it as soon as she says we made a child um, uh yeah uh <laughs> It's just, I just, it was a mood killer. It is definitely, uh, you know, we we all took biology. We know that is a a potentiality out of uh, the circumstances, but it is it is the weirdest post sex conversation you could have. Not where you had a child and he's this big and her fingers are like inches apart, and it's like that's not how it works, girl. <laughs> um. So yeah, but honestly, it just shows yeah. kind Peggy, of Peggy believes timing. that life begins at conception. is is very clear from this episode. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, I just thought that that was a perfectly timed little piece. Um. Of of just TV. Uh. Because you have this like as we keep on saying this super long, awkward sex scene, and then it just like really. After like a beat, she says, "We made a child," <laughs> and it's just like, "Whoa, okay." Yeah, um, Charles is like, "This lady is intense." Yeah, and just out there. Um, yeah. So he wakes up the next day, and he sees Peggy outside uh, with another guy having a similar think, conversation. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, this is after all of this happened uh, that Charles wakes up and, and sees Peggy outside with this with this guy, and they have a similar conversation 
uh, where they had uh, the night previous where she says, hey, don't you think you need to carry me over the threshold? Um, and so he's like, what the hell is happening? So he kind of goes down to try to investigate and see who this new mystery man is. Um, which is definitely, you know, as, as the audience, you start thinking like, well, this is kind of weird how they just got married and she already called out another guy to this house that's like in the middle of nowhere. And, and um, while it looks like Peggy, like it, it, she's, she is Peggy. But she's acting way more horned up than, like, the Peggy that we knew was. (laughs) Definitely. She is ready to go. Yeah, definitely dressed slightly differently. Yeah. Um, So then Charles continues to look at uh, Peggy and this mystery guy, and they start to have sex by the fire uh, on the Chase Lounge where he originally wanted to get it on with Peggy. Um, But then um, he kind of has this moment where he's in disbelief that she's doing this to him but then he says you know what it doesn't matter because i'm the husband we have a marriage license i own every penny she does so he's right just... and, and, he, and i think this is where no it's later but yeah like he basically like ah whatever i i basically admits more or less that i married it for the yes. i married it for the money anyway she wants to fool around who cares like it's telling himself this doesn't hurt me yeah um, so he's still peeping, uh, and he notices other weird similarities, um, like, uh, once, so this is yet another sex scene that doesn't go on as long as the one that we just watched, but it does go on for longer than it really needs to. Sure. <laughs> um, and, uh, once again, after they're done, uh, Peggy says, we made a child, a baby girl. Oh, and it's worth mentioning earlier, she also mentioned that, like, after the, like after their first, like, sex. Also, the, the show consistently uses the word lovemaking, which always makes my skin crawl. I don't know why. <laughs> but, like, after they have the, the sex, she, she mentions that this is the most perfect it will ever, as it will ever get. Like, she just yeah. kind of says, this is the height of our relationship, is this moment we're in right now. Yeah, and so... Peggy picks up the axe and as the guy is sleeping, she says uh, kind of the same thing. Like, I have to preserve this love, this perfect love, this right now. Uh, So she says, hey, guy, wake up. And then he's like, "Mm hmm. And then she's like, "Okay, now go back to sleep. And then she tries to essentially cut the guy in half with the axe. Yeah. In twain. um, At this point, Charles tries to get the axe away from Peggy, but he goes right through her like he's a ghost. I think it's... So, he ends up being right, but I think it's hilarious that he's like, oh, they're ghosts. And it's like, my friend, you could be the ghost. Like, does that not occur to you? That like... Um, So he wakes up, and it turns out that they weren't really ghosts, and he wasn't a ghost either. Um, Right. He was just having a dream. He was just... Yeah, he was just having a nightmare. Um, So he wakes up screaming, and Peggy says, oh my god, what? Oh, there's there's an important bit, because he he realizes in the dream, he's like, that's... Because at a certain point in all this, Peggy changes, and he's like, "That, that is Peggy's mother, and... Uh, th- this must have been when she was conceived on their wedding night in this house. 
Like, he has that realization, like, within the dream. He's like, that's Peggy's mother. Peggy's father died. A fact that we don't, I don't think we learned before this moment. It's weird that he's like, oh, right. Peggy's uh, father died the night they were conceived. It happened in this house. And she came with that big axe. And then he wakes up. He's like, oh, it's just a dream. Yeah, we literally know nothing about the parents. They haven't been mentioned at all. The only family member that we know about is Aunt Edith. Right. Um, so yeah, it's kind of weird that he seems to have had this information and then um, kind of only mentions it when it's like convenient it. and necessary for plot. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he wakes up screaming and he says, "I just had a nightmare about your parents. Uh, a dream uh, or dreamt that your mom killed your dad uh, with an axe on their wedding night." Uh, and then she says, "Yes, that really happened. And now I'm going to kill you." For the same reasons, uh, essentially, mm-hmm. that Peggy's mom had stated earlier, which is to try to perfect uh, or preserve their uh, perfect love. Right. Um, so in a last ditch effort to save his life, uh, Charles says, but I never loved you. I married you for your money. Uh, and this is where we see the gun from earlier. So he says, mm-hmm. see, see that gun? I was going to kill you with it. Uh, and I'm going to kill you now. And he tries to go for the gun and shoot her. But then he realizes that the bullets um, are not in the gun. Uh, they are actually uh, all by the dresser. So I right. guess Peggy must have unloaded the gun while he was Yeah, sleeping. it's unclear if she unloaded the gun or if like he, ha- like he had at some point. Like, like after sex, he said, oh, maybe I don't want to kill this lady. And they're like taking all the bullets out like there's just this moment where he pulls the trigger the bullets are out and she's like see you do love me and it's like okay um and i also think it's interesting that uh he asked peggy for the flashlight like he doesn't Mm -hmm. know if there's a flashlight in the car but presumably i would assume that or um, presumably, uh, when he, he, put the he put the gun in, in the, the car. glove compartment, yeah, he would have yeah. seen the flashlight. So it's just kind of a weird thing to have yeah. confirmed that he put the gun there, that he was planning on killing her with that gun, and yet he didn't know that there was a flashlight there. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, besides that little plot hole... Um, so he attempts to fire the gun. There's no bullets. Um, so then Peggy raises the axe and she's about to swing. Uh, and as she raises the axe, Charles tries to stretch himself, uh, towards the nightstand where the bullets are. Uh, and he reaches for them, but he is just too late. Uh, Peggy brings down the axe and slices him once, twice, again and again, covering the entire hand. Uh, and covering everything in blood. And the the last thing we see of Charles is his hand just filled with blood, uh, reaching for those bullets. So he was just a little too late. And after the deed is done, Peggy uh, meets her Aunt Edith outside this creepy house uh, and it turns out maybe I'm just gonna stop you for one second. There's this great shot when we cut back to Peggy, and she's just c- covered in blood. And it's just this yeah. really great image. Yeah, definitely um, very um, iconic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so um, Peggy meets with Aunt Edith outside the creepy house, which 
I, I think it's kind of left to assume that they own this house. Right. Yeah. The, the, the sort of implication of this final scene is that this is like almost a family tradition of yes. like, this is where this family goes, which makes the whole like interaction with Charles at the beginning of this episode. We like Edith clearly knows what's going on here. Yes. Like when, when Peggy goes and like, she's meant she makes a comment about like helping her mother. And like, there's all these things that like, this is just what this family does. Like they, they get men into this house, conceive children with them, which, Hey, if you can do that on one shot, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then, um, kill them. Yeah. So, um, to kind of segue into the last bits of the episode, yeah. uh, Aunt Edith says, um, you know, was, was everything perfect? And Peggy says, yes. And after this, I don't need man anymore. Or I, I don't need men anymore. Uh, I don't, I don't need no a man. more men. Um, yeah. So yeah, they seemingly kind of use men just for for this one night, just for this right. one thing. Uh, and then after that, they just kind of go back to, I guess, you know, just being single women uh, mm-hmm. who don't need no men. Right. And so yeah, she says, well, we won't need any... Um, any men after this uh now that i have my baby girl but she will need a man one day one day mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of left like that and that's the end of that story and then we go back to the crypt keeper who says talk about family traditions huh <laughs> um and yeah that's you wore a weird little hat here at the end. I wasn't sure what that was all about. Uh, yeah, no, it's. It, the, I agree with you that I feel like the crypt keeper segments on this one are are pretty lackluster in terms of like, yeah, being especially like clever or setting it up. Um, but he he does advise all bachelors that before you marry a lady, make sure that their family doesn't have a tradition of killing their husbands. So yeah, um, I would say, do you want to get into our ratings? What you what sure? You think of this episode? Yeah. So um, our previously three point now I think two point rating scale is: Do you think this one's a keeper, or do you think uh, one that you would recommend folks watch, or is this one a stinker, one left forgotten to the sands of time? I'll go first this time. I I dug this episode. I think it's um unlike a lot of the other episodes up to this point like this this is not an episode that like has a larger cultural or social commentary going on in it this is just a creepy haunted house story about a guy who stumbles into a family with this crazy tradition and it it just sort of tells that story efficiently and um effectively and like one of the things i really like the opening the whole like opening act of this story is really well done because clearly one of these the energy between the two of them is so weird she's what we learned later is like she's nervous about this thing that she's gonna have to do he's clearly planned to kill her and there's just this middle ground where it's just like what like we don't know watching this who's gonna make a move like something bad is going to happen that that much is clear, but we don't know which way it's going to break and what everyone's motivations are. And so like, as those are revealed over time, and especially when you have this weird 
sort of left field, but you know, like, okay, okay, that things fall in place then about like what all was going on. Um, I, yeah, I, I, it's not a, it's not a, especially clever episode, but I think it's effectively spooky. I think this is the spookiest episode of Tales from the Crypt we've had so far. And I think because it, it, it hits that mark for me, it's definitely a keeper. Yeah, for me, this was a stinker, even though I had high hopes um, just seeing the, the sheer talent in mm-hmm. the writing and directing. Um, and yeah, I just didn't. It's again one of those episodes where it's a story that, you know, it's told, you know, pretty straight. And once the story is over, it left me feeling like, okay, so what? What's mm-hmm. what's the moral of the story here? What's the takeaway? Sure. No, and, if, if, if there's any episode we've seen of the show so far that has zero moral, it's this one. Like, it's, there's there's nothing really to grip your teeth into beyond yeah, the initial and, story. Yeah, and so for me, it's just one of those, like, okay, so that's the thing. That's a, That sure right. is an episode of TV. Yes. Uh, and that's kind of how I felt about, about this one, um, especially since, like, the, the twist is not particularly... It, it's like, a twist that there's no way that you can know going like there's nothing that sets it up like i said like it's 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 weirdly i will say that i if i was gonna make any kind of script doctor notes i wish the thing about her father dying before she was born had been at least seated before yeah you have to have some revealed. sort you have to establish certain things for the payoff to be sure. satisfying in that. any way so i feel like yeah there there needed to be something to set up that that expectation that like the father the father had died on their wedding night, uh, I think that might have even raised sort of like the stakes and the tension uh, in yeah. the story, knowing that like knowing that there are such high stakes uh, sort of for the family uh, for that wedding night, because then that really leaves you thinking, well, is it going to be her or is it going to be him? Right, like, um, like, how is this gonna break? Yeah, and I also, for example, um, I'm trying to think of other episodes where, like, you do, you set something up, and you know, you pay it off at the end. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I just feel like that's writing one on one, where, like, right. having having the character say, "Oh yeah, this is what happened to the mom and dad," and it's like we've never even talked about the mom and dad. Like, mm-hmm. it just feels no, a little bit. That. Yeah, it feels a little bit like a drive-by explanation that wasn't set up at all. So, yeah, I th- I think for me again, like the only the only other thing I'll say, and I, and I I agree with everything you just said. For me, this is the first, and I I'm not necessarily looking. I'm not, I don't want to see like oh well, I don't I don't not want to see, uh, butts in this show, but I feel like we we talked about like in that first episode. They have the sexy naked uh, hot tub time. Mm-hmm. And we've not seen it like since that episode, like there's some violence and language, but this show, like, like I said at the, earlier, the show a hundred percent, like could have been on regular TV at this point in time. I, I feel like a lot of the episodes of this show with a couple edits would be very doable on terrestrial television. Like, like, you know, like an, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, it's not that far removed from that. Yeah. This show is definitely, like, 
this is a show where it's like swinging for the fences of like, here is something you would never see anywhere else except for on this channel. Yeah, so I like, will give this episode that. There was sex and there was a lot of blood. Right. And, and it, a lot of murder. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's, um, it's, uh, tawdry. like, it's gross. Like, it's a tawdry sort of, like, weird story about, like, this obsessive woman who is looking for this one night of, you know, perfect love within her framework. And then, like, is just so uh, obsessed with that idea that, you know, she she doesn't want to accept the reality that's in front of her. Like, all these little clues that she's getting and so forth. She's like, no, he does love me, and I'm and I'm going to go through with this, even though I'm nervous about it. And, and feels fulfilled at the end. Like, it's, it's a... Uh, it's ex- it's exploitation in a way that I feel like this show has not real this show has not really leaned into and in- to the same degree. Um, maybe since the first episode, I think the first episode kind of has a similar uh, grungy vibe, but I feel like this episode uh, really plays with that space and enjoys being a big, uh, gross uh, episode of horror. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um... There you go. One of these days, Ceci, we're going to agree on one of these ratings. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, so uh, moving on, if you want to do ahead. the uh, casting the crypt, uh, do you have any thoughts? My only one, I, I, this shows my own um, narrow view and uh, sexism. I didn't, I don't have a, a great one for Peggy. The only person that jumped out at me is the character of Charles, especially like, at, like as the night escalates and as it gets weirder and as things kind of unravel Stephen Shelland was giving me some real mid 2000s Jim Carrey vibes in this episode that I think like like if you get into that if he could get into that like uh you know sort of unnerved like if he could tap into the weird like manic energy that he has underneath the skin all the time I think he he could do something interesting with that role that's interesting because yeah i just i just kept on thinking of brendan fraser like literally sure yeah i think the guy is a dead ringer for him and i was i was even thinking like could could brendan fraser have played this part and it looks like would he have been age appropriate at this time he would have been but it looks like he didn't really get his first sort of acting uh credit until like maybe a year after this was made and released interesting um so yeah for all we know this could have been him um Mm -hmm. because i yeah i think he would have been at that time um yeah just i think he's i I don't know i think he's a little i i think that that's a fun casting i think Brendan Fraser is just so likable (laughs) like i'm trying to think of any time he's been in something where he's not like been immediately and i think like, yeah. you, you need a little prickliness with charles yeah but um know. yeah in terms of peggy i was trying to think of a modern actress that can do both the innocent and the murderous mm-hmm. uh, and honestly the only person that came to mind uh that kind of meets that criteria would be someone like uh lily reinhardt from riverdale Oh she sure, plays, yeah. uh, Betty Cooper, because um, mm-hmm. I think she does a really good job of going in between those like really innocent and then just really like murderous 
um, that is literally essentially the character of Betty Cooper uh, in that show. So that's kind of who came to mind for me. Well, cool. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that would be a really good um, update for that. I don't, I don't I, yeah, I don't have any other uh, suggestions beyond that. So let's go with that. Awesome. Hollywood, if you're listening. Yeah, and, and just you... a little bit of uh, recommendations corner since we talked mm-hmm. about Fright Night earlier. Um, I just wanted to give one more shout out to that movie and say, if you haven't seen Fright Night, go watch it. Um, it's it's just a really solid horror film. Um, yeah, and... I, I also I, I will co-sign uh, Fright Night being great. I would also highly recommend um, the uh, the first Child's Play is also really good. It's, yeah. it's it's silly it's if you like the sort of like trashy silliness of of something this is even a silly but like it's something like a trashy silly like very um uh i'm trying to think of of how to phrase this but it, it, it's a movie that i think knows how to have fun in that horror space and like you know definitely like obviously has been a uh, uh franchise that has like gone on and like tapped into something yeah. Very universal. All about the Everybody knows who Chucky dolls. is. Right. Um, but I think that first one especially like is really well done of like making this kind of iconography like horror yeah. images. Awesome. Yeah, so I think that's it for us this time. Um so Yeah. I what thanks once again to uh Molly Fancher for intro and outro music, Mr. N. You can find them on Bandcamp. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Crypt Speakers. You can find me at Jay the Cake Thief. And I'm at Sessie Korea on Twitter. Awesome. And uh, other than that, uh, we'll see you next time, kitties. Bye.